0: Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel, and welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, pre-cog cyber attack pass with Paul Georgi from XM Cyber. Hey, Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks, Darren. Hey, Paul Georgie is a director of sales in um, XM Cyber. When I first heard about XM Cyber, I was like, I don't quite understand. And then you guys coached me and taught me. And I was like, this is cool stuff. Yeah. So before we get into what you guys do, tell me, Paul, a little bit about yourself, your background and how you ended up at XM Cyber.
1: Yeah, so um, I've been in security since the late 90s, uh, started doing a lot of DHS and DOD projects. Um, That was where I got my start. It was a great place to learn and have kind of an unlimited budget to just do whatever I wanted to kind of secure the perimeter. And uh, I started there, um, ended up coming over... And joining a company called fishnet security uh, doing sales engineering uh, and that was back in 2005 um and then i fell in love with sales engineering if you would have asked the, the, the one who's managing the firewalls, the Paul, who was managing the firewalls back then, if I'd ever get into anything sales related, I'd be like disgusted by the idea. But I love sales <laughs> engineering. And so um, I, I really fell in love with it at Fishnet. And then my career has been kind of tied within sales engineering, uh, worked at a few different places. Um, I participate I as a co-founder of a cybersecurity company called Defy Security. Um, I worked at Exabeam, so I, I love logs. Uh, one thing I've always played around with is breach and attack simulation. I think that that's an emerging space the last few years that I fell in love with. And XM Cyber falls within that category. And so when I was looking for the next kind of adventure, I was like, I want to do breach and attack simulation. And then I surveyed and I, I really fell in love with what XM Cyber was doing and their unique take. And so that's that's how I ended up here.
0: Okay, for those of you that don't know what breach, uh, you know, simulation and attack simulation, you're you're dealing with black hat, white hat uh, type of things going on here, right? Yeah. Let's be I mean, serious. There's a lot of, is that what that, it is?
1: Yeah, there's categories of breach and attack simulation. Like, you can automate pen tests. So if you want every single day to run a pen test in your environment, that is a category of breach and attack simulation. And then there's what we call security control validations, where... If if you're using CrowdStrike or Sentinel One or Microsoft Defender or Silence or whatever the EDR tool is, and you want to make sure that your solution's blocking specific type of variants, you can launch things that look and simulate those type of behaviors to see is my policy protecting me, or if it is protecting me, are my playbooks working the way I anticipate them? So there's definite value in those type of use cases. We don't really address either one of those kind of to the extent that our competitors do, we do what's called attack path management. And attack path management is just holistically assessing your environment and giving you insight into how an attacker might leverage entities in your environment to laterally move and compromise critical assets.
0: Okay, so this is a di- this is different than what we hear traditionally about cyber, right? So yeah. Traditionally, it's detection, remediation, yeah. prevention, You know, those are those are the typical things you guys are doing, like, predictive. How can they get in? If they do get in, where can they go type of thing? So you're you're like, oh, what's the right word? It's like um, it's not it's not like going to the doctor. It's going to the gym.
1: Kind of. Yeah, I've used the analogy of like a pre cog sim where it's like. Oh, great. Pre cog. Now now we got my mortar report going on. I I, I feel like that's been a good (laughs) description where it's like we're not correlating a whole bunch of things that are happening. We're correlating a lot of stuff that could happen and then stringing them together. A imaginative incident giving you insight into how your tools might be able to address it, how you could work to address remediations on specific choke points, and then. If, if you think about an organization who learns a lot from a pen test like back when i was doing the, the dod projects and i was working at an air force base every quarter we would have a pen test and they would always get us and it would be so frustrating that we'd spent so much time fixing stuff but my favorite time was we would get around a conference table and they would all share around hey we did this we did this and then Immediately, I would respond and address all of the things that they were doing to fix it. And there was so much we learned during those incidences. So that's what we're trying to do, but on a regular basis and something where you can fix things today, see the impact of them tomorrow, and then continually increase and improve your security.
0: So th- this can happen well before pen testing, then, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the ideally. idea.
1: There was even right? one customer. So, who- uh, so he. Okay. Well, so
0: here's a the question then. Yeah. Right? Could could you have your red team use your stuff to find their way around um, the blue team and then go to town?
1: Right? Yeah. So we actually have that use case um, deployed in some uh, customers. So your
0: tool could be very dangerous. Yeah.
1: I mean, if you think about what we're doing, um, I use the if analogy the a lot. It's in the wrong hands, like, right, Paul? Yeah. Exactly. Google Maps, for example, is a good analogy where it's like, hey, I want to get from one place to the next place. Here's my starting point, here's my ending point. Google Maps will tell you these are all the ways to get there. We do that same thing, but from an attack simulation. We're saying, hey, if you've compromised this Azure Active Directory user account, these are the six steps that you can take in this order to be able to get to like an on-premise domain controller um, and compromise that critical asset. So just like Google Maps will say, this is the route that we recommend you take. This is the one that avoids tolls. This one's the most scenic route. We do that same thing. We'll tell you these are the six ways to get from this point to this right. point. And if you think about how that would help a red teamer, it makes them super efficient. They, they don't have to waste time poking around and trying to do discovery. They say, this is where I'm at. I want to get over here. Here, XM, tell me how to get there. And so, yeah, you're right. It is kind of scary being able to to show all of that data in one specific view.
0: Well, yeah, you, you're you're going to enable the red team, but hey, you can also give it to the blue team too. So that's, a, I, I guess, that's the next question, right? You guys run all these predictive attack path analysis, and so what do I do? You give me all that information. What do I do with it? Yeah, so there's a few things.
1: From a blue team perspective, you can now prioritize your remediations. Um, If we are showing you the entities that are allowing an attacker to most commonly compromise your critical assets, you want to focus your remediations on those. So we call them choke points. And think about a choke point as hey, if I have 400 attack paths all going to different areas in my DMZ, but all 400 seem to have to leverage this one entity to make that attack path happen. If I just fix that one problem on that one entity, I've really destroyed 400 attack paths. So from a blue teamer, it it allows you to prioritize your efforts and making sure that you've locked down these choke points that could enable an attacker. We know that if an attacker is able to get something like a domain admin account or get onto a machine like a domain controller, there's a lot of stuff that they can wreak havoc on. They basically own the environment at that point. But in most environments, there are accounts or entities that are riskier than your domain admin account Um, and without having any insight you don't know what those are but I'll tell you there's a lot of like a developer account who has rights from a federated identity in Google and Azure and from that one account you're able to get access to all these things and that's more powerful than a domain admin account or Think about an, uh, an Intune admin or just a regular domain user who has rights to use the Intune admin service. They could push software to any Azure Active Directory admin machines or Azure Active Directory domain machines and push software. So that one account is even more dangerous than domain, domain admin because it sits above another layer, and, but then has the ability to replicate down. So it's an interesting perspective to now start seeing what other accounts even to do, introduce more risk than a domain admin account.
0: All right, so I, I got to back you up a little bit because my my listeners' heads are spinning now, right? So I, I want to kind of break this down a little bit. You're talking about attack paths, so, yep. and then you were talking about user accounts. So, yeah, obviously, in in your past stuff, there's more than just user accounts. There's more than just what's connected to what and what firewalls are. So, how would you break down? I mean, let's break it down a little bit. Yeah, I've sure. got. Um, identity management as, as one of the things. So that's one of the things that you guys leverage is, hey, who is who in the zoo? Yeah. Uh, Not just in my data center, but it also sounds like in the cloud. Yeah. So you guys can handle multi-cloud access management and, or you're analyzing the access. You're not doing the access management, you're analyzing it. Correct. Yeah. Is that? Okay. So that's the identity side. So if I, this is going to be, if I have multiple identities, is there any way for you to track to track that I am using multiple identities or not? Is that just outside of the realm?
1: So we wouldn't. I mean, we don't care who owns what. But if if you've ever used a tool called Bloodhound, um, they are doing the same thing that we're doing. We actually have the same exact features, but kind of at a much larger level, um, where. If you have access to a specific Active Directory user, we understand that this Active Directory user can reset the password for another one. And now this this user account has the ability to now add a GPO. And then from that GPO, we can then do so. Sometimes attack paths will be, 10 steps long, but nine steps will all just be navigating the identity world. And it's all just due to you might have permissions to your admin account. And then that admin account might have additional permissions. So if you do six or seven steps, adjusting groups and adjusting different permissions and resetting passwords and deploying GPOs, you could kind of take nine steps to go from standard Darren at or D- Darren's user account to then get to the point where you're at domain admin just by leveraging Active Directory.
0: Wow I most people don't even know that that that's yeah. an attack path,
1: <laughs> and it gets even more complex right I mean, when you pull obviously. cloud identities yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I can imagine because you know cloud identities, even though they try and sync them up between yeah uh, they're unique identities right they're yeah. not you know they are unique okay, so identity is one path that you guys follow on attacks. What's another path that you guys follow because it just can't just be identities right you're doing more oh. than that.
1: Yeah, and so I like to use the term entities because it's a generic term encompassing a lot. So sometimes an, an, an entity in an attack path is the user, like we were talking about. Another example okay. of a common entity would be a machine. Um, another entity would be like an S3 bucket. It's not a machine. It's not a user. It's just kind of a, a cloud storage area. Another entity is a file or an SSH key. Uh, I mean, the, the list is long. Um, in our supported entities, I think there's... About a hundred, maybe even more than that, where all of these different entities can all be combined together to create an attack path. And sometimes, like I was saying, it's an attack path of ten, but nine of them are just user, uh, like within the user space. And then sometimes it gets really complex, where an attack uh, starts on premise, goes out to Azure takes advantage of maybe Azure Intune, like that example we were talking about before, goes back over to compromise another machine that then allows you to pivot over to GCP. Then once you're over in the GCP environment, taking advantage of maybe some sort of like trust or permission between AWS and GCP to then compromise AWS. So you get really complicated and you look at all these different types of entities and the different disparate environments and then you connect them together to assess these paths around how every entity holistically plays together in the risk of every other.
0: Oh, so, so wow. I mean, most, I I know because I do this myself, sometimes I set up those paths myself because obscurity (laughs) is a form of security, at least we thought. Yeah. But it sounds like to me, that with tools like yours, I'm sure the bad guys have tools like this too. Yeah. That w- once you get in, they start looking around for paths. Yeah. Um, so I, you can't use obscurity anymore. Right. Right. Even if you're hopping between domains or hopping between cloud service providers, yeah. it sounds like you really need something to, to help you identify these. So let's say, all right, you, uh, how does it work as a customer? I bring you guys in and it's professional services, or I just let your software just go wild crazy? How, how does it work? Explain an engagement with uh, with a customer.
1: Yeah, so there's two main ways that we get engaged. Sometimes it's just at a high level, I want to discover all my attack paths. And that's a great, a great use case. Sometimes it's, hey, we do pen tests every quarter, we get so much insight in from them. I would like to kind of have these done on a daily basis if I could afford it but I don't have a budget of 100 million dollars to do a pen test every single day so sometimes it's just at a high level I just want to be able to assess my environment um, and in that case when things like uh, Felina or log4j or spring for shell like those vulnerabilities of the month that kind of pop up under a radar it is a really strong value to, for an organization to measure the impact of these vulnerabilities like hey yesterday there was only 10 attack paths going to this critical asset. Felina dropped on the scene and now I have a hundred. And so being able to measure how an attacker can operationalize new vulnerabilities in your environment to put your critical assets at risk, that's that's kind of in line with that first customer. The next customer, when we kind of get engaged is they'll have a specific scenario. There was a really large bank that we did a POC with last year. They're, They're a customer now, but when we did the POC, they said, We know that our offshore developers have access to one small AWS environment. That's all they should have access to. But we're really concerned that there is some way that they have the ability to abuse maybe different entities in the environment to be able to access production data. So that was a different scenario where they said, I want to start here and see if there's any risk to that. And in that case, it was two days later we were saying, yeah, look at how they can abuse this Lambda function. From this Lambda function, they get this role. From this role, they can do what's called a cross domain assume role capability to then get access to your production data. So for however long that they had this configuration, they had this false sense of security, thinking that because all their offshore developers were relegated to one AWS we're, account. Well, yeah, they
0: had them in a box. Like, we're yeah. secure,
1: like there's no way. So they came to us saying like, hey, we want to verify this. And so we ran through the simulations and we able to say, hey, you're not secure. And by the way, it only takes three steps to get from there over there. It's very easy. So they stopped the POC, fixed all those things, and then uh, resume the POC and is now a customer. And so those are kind of the two main areas where we so start.
0: Tra- targeted, right? Yeah. I have a specific problem. And then yeah. also tell me where I'm at. This would, to me, this is kind of screaming for this would have to be continuously run because... As soon as I add another entity, an S3 bucket, a new person, I could have opened up Pandora's box.
1: Yeah. Not only just the dynamic nature of cloud, But we also track user behavior in our simulations. So in most environments, I've found that the security score goes up during the weekend. And that's because we've removed the users from the environment. You remove the users from the environment, the score goes up. I mean, every network is more secure without users. So that was one thing that you find. So there's a lot of patterns, not only just, hey, we deployed a new application or, hey, we have some elasticity in our cloud environment. We've got like this expansion that normally doesn't happen. And so there's a bigger attack surface, or like the example I gave, the users are doing something different today. What's happening today that is putting it's us different. more at a security risk than yesterday?
0: So it's just not you're not just doing static analysis of of entities. You're also doing dynamic because you're looking at traffic patterns. You're looking at exactly holy cow, yeah yeah i mean that that's that's pretty impressive yeah Yeah, that is a lot and you said something interesting and i'm it's kind of in in jest but a serious question you basically said get rid of users off your network
1: (laughs) well i mean for the most secure conscious organization limit the number of users i think that that's a really good it's kind of if we talk about least privileged principles i mean. The best way to get That's, rid of privileged principle or implement that is get is rid, get of, rid users. of users.
0: Yeah. All right. The reason I brought this up is because the OT environment, yeah. which yep. is very different than IT, and I'm doing a lot of research right now in OT managed security and oh, the OT guys are scared out of their minds, right? <laughs> Be, rightfully because, so. and right I think rightfully so, right? Because if someone hacks into your critical infrastructure, people die. Yeah. Right. This is a big deal. Yeah. So can you guys can you guys help with that uh, pass finding across the OT IT barriers? Um, or do I just say there are no identities in the OT network? But yeah, I, I don't know if that's an answer.
1: So going so, back I mean, to that, like specific use case where it's a targeted use case. That's a really yeah. common targeted use case. We have customers like in the energy sector or anybody really with an OT environment that probably is having the problem or problem but that it's converging. Everything's kind of converging yeah, in the is. same networks. And so there's risk to that. And the old school SCADA guys managing their PLCs who thought they were isolated because, hey, this doesn't connect to our network can no longer say that anymore. So now you've got this problem where, hey, is OT the critical asset or the breach point? If you think about kind of like attack passes, that are we getting hacked from these devices or to them? Or, or And so we get to calculate that. but to your description, we definitely have that use case commonly played out like, hey, is there any way from my IT environment, let's play the scenario of somebody in HR, if somebody in HR's machine is the breach point, is there any risk to this PLC sitting in my SCADA environment controlling pressure switches that could turn on and off the electricity for some city municipality. So that is a real use case that we can simulate and if we do find these are the attack paths it gives you insight to remediate them before an attacker finds right. them and then takes advantage of them
0: so so this would be really important to to run these simulations so that's another question i have for you i mean is this is this a saas offering or is it on prem i think saas would be a little scary for me personally right yeah cuz i'm like uh, you're you're going to story in the cloud somewhere, how people can attack me. (laughs) That's scary, right?
1: Yeah, so we are a SaaS solution. Um, Early on, we did have kind of, we did have an on-premise solution, but it was really hard to keep it updated. Think about how often we're constantly adding new attack techniques and new attack vectors. And so it became such a problem for us to constantly be trying to update all these on-prem systems that we eventually said, for us to deliver the best service that we can and constantly stay dynamic with every new vulnerability and attack technique comes out we have to be sas only and to your point it is a little scary to think about hey there's something in the cloud that has all of our attack techniques we do a very very we put a lot of work to make sure all of our data is completely isolated uh, sock two compliant and all these different certifications showing that we don't do any multi-tenancy everything is in its isolated tenants using AWS, and so we make sure everything is isolated and secure, and we try not to collect anything sensitive. Now, you think about stitching to their attack pass, and vulnerabilities like, that's sensitive. But if you think about what we're showing you, a lot of it isn't as sensitive as some things like uh, data like sitting in card files, numbers. credit card <laughs> numbers, PII, um, so, so, yep. uh, passwords. So when we are doing these attacks, it's really common for us to say, Hey, we compromise this user account. We have this password sitting here, but we never send anything sensitive to the cloud, what we do is we hash it a bunch of times and only actually send half of or a portion of that hash up to the cloud. So that way we can say, Hey, this password is the same as this password over here. So we can leverage it in a way where we can kind of continue to use that, uh, that password and living off the land from an attack perspective, but we don't have to know what it is. And we try to do that same sort of mentality on everything where it's if we don't, need the actual data that will kind of hash it, obfuscate it, and then just compare it in the cloud. Um, But we have really large referenceable customers like NASDAQ, for example, is a really big customer of ours. Uh, We've got Fortune 50 banks. So you have to like the scrutiny that we've gone over to get those type of logos. You've already gone through that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that, I, I bet that was a big uh, <laughs> takes leap a while. faith
1: for them, right? Yeah, yeah and there's some still yeah, old so school I, thinking where cloud is scary and it's somebody else's computer and I don't like that. So yeah, I, I get it. I feel that way same way a lot of times too.
0: So I, I guess here's a, here's another a quick question. Have you guys moved at all into the government space it's state and local governments, or federal governments, um, or you know national governments. Have you moved into that space yet, or are you still getting a little pushback from them?
1: Um, you mean just with the cloud adoption?
0: Yeah, with yeah. And, and, yeah, with the cloud adoption.
1: Yeah, I think so. Most of our customers are in that space. Um, uh, put us through a little bit more of a, a effort and testing. The ringer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, so uh, like. We are owned by a German company, um, the Schwartz Group that owns XM Cyber. Uh, Germany is known for like a lot of really strict privacy laws and things like GDPR and all these different compliance. So there is a kind of an extra layer of scrutiny just because we have to adhere to these type of things like the GDPR in a way that maybe we don't have to as much in different areas in the state. So it is definitely something that we have to keep staying in touch with and different uh different compliance like FedRAMP for example if you're playing in federal space and you want a SaaS service that adheres to FedRAMP and stay FedRAMP compliant like there's a lot of those type of things as well that we continually have to work towards so
0: you're so you're already in FedRAMP you're in GovCloud already We're
1: not yet um I think what we are okay. uh what do you call it when it's pending authorization so we don't have the certification right. yet we're just going through that process
0: You're going to Oh that's good. that's good that's good to know Yeah um. Okay, let's say that um, I I get all this information from you guys. You guys have shown me where all my, my paths are. Maybe I'm not that sophisticated in my cyber. Maybe I'm a mid-sized company. Yeah. Do you guys have like consulting services to help me figure out, all right, you, you found all these paths, and I'm sitting there going, I <laughs> don't know what to do. I mean, how do you educate me, or do, can you help me? Um, figure out what to do or point me to a partner. Maybe you guys have a partner that does manage security. I don't I don't know. Yeah.
1: Um, what do I do? So we, we have both. Every customer of ours gets assigned what we call a customer success manager. Um, and they either have weekly or biweekly meetings where the whole goal of their sessions together is just to take the data that's coming out of the platform and help them like actually use it um if we're just run, running these theoreticals every single week but no one's fixing anything then we aren't really making anything better so what we're really, not making any progress yeah, exactly right. so what's really a fun takeaway or a fun outcome of those sessions is commonly those sessions will identify a few things like hey this choke point is impacted by this attack technique it will these are the steps to remediate it do you think we can have this done by two weeks from now and then on the team they'll assign stuff open the tickets put it in for that change control window and then two weeks later we get to now see the impact and say wow look we had this fix look how it replica rippled across all the environment and your security score goes up so that's kind of the the, the main way that we address kind of using the solution and not just turning into shelfware. Um, But to your other point, we do have a lot of partners. There's a lot of like managed service partners that we work with who bolt on kind of um, these attack simulation offerings into their platform and then allow them to have that value. But the perspective it gives them from a managed service like an MDR really gives them a ton of insight into the organization to help them be better at uh, offering those services.
0: No, that, that that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now I, I have another question. Um you talked about the entities and all that stuff. What about if I have all of my stuff encrypted? Are you checking for encryption? Because Intel, we've got some cool technology around encryption yeah. like um memory in use yeah. encryption, right? And SGX. Are you guys looking down at that level too? So even if someone infiltrated, so what? They can't see
1: anything. Yeah. So that's a really interesting point. We just acquired a company called Cyber Observer. Um, and Cyber Observer kind of is more on the controls and protection aspect of it. So what we did before is we kind of ignored encryption or we ignored kind of security control saying, hey, this risk is still here. So what they ended up being able to download or access an encrypted blob. They, they shouldn't have been able to do that in the first place. And there's risk to that. because, I, gotcha. I mean, we're talking about encryption. I mean, we know that the, the post-quantum world and being able to kind of be able to start breaking encryption is not that far away. So we, we don't want to have any data loss, even if it is encrypted. So, But now through this uh, acquisition of Cyber Observer, Cyber Observer has uh, API integrations into different cloud environments, to different security controls, both cloud and on-prem. And now they can assess whether or not, hey, that file that we simulated a compromise on was st- we had a simulation that there was the exfiltration that happened, but Cyber Observer was able to say it was encrypted, so you don't have to it was worry encrypted. about it. And then also things like mm-hmm. there was these three security controls that probably would have made it harder for that to happen. So then we address it and rate our, our complexity factor. So now with the inside of Cyber Observer, we could say... Hey, without Cyber Observer, it looked like this was a really easy attack. But now there's this encryption to break. There's this uh, EDR solution you have to bypass. And so it, now, because Cyber Observer told us that, we're going to say that it, this is still technically possible, but it is something that's going to be more complex than something that doesn't have that.
0: Uh, I, okay, that that makes a lot of sense to me. So, with the, without um, this new acquisition you guys made, it's can I get access? Yeah. Yeah, basically. Now it's like, oh, I got access, but it's garbage. Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, I've always I,
0: I can't understand it or, you know, whatever. Yeah.
1: I've always referred to like security controls as safety nets being like, hey, if something bad happens, this will protect yeah, like me. That. And so we've never really evaluated the safety net in the aspect of security. So we've always said like, hey, this is possible. You probably should shouldn't care if there's a safety net or not like this is something that's bad that could happen and i don't want to rely on that safety net you should rely on the actual posture of it in general without kind of falling so we would address those things first to make sure you never have to leverage the safety net but now we're at least kind of considering whether or not the safety nets exist and how strong they are and can they uh, help you because now we actually have that insight through our cyber observer acquisition
0: uh, th- that's that's pretty cool. That's that's a, a nice addition yeah. to you guys. Uh, another thing that that comes to mind. I don't know if you guys handled this. It's micro segmentation or controlled. I I'm talking to a company now called Elicity. Yeah. Really cool stuff. Where they're, they're controlling at the layer two um, and layer yeah. three, where they're saying I- I'm getting rid of uh, VLANs completely and I'm controlling traffic between devices yeah. directly. Do you guys bring that into play too, like on the networking side in micro segmentation, or or you say no? I've, I I got access, and if these two machines can talk, you're you're toast. Yeah,
1: yeah. So we do play in that space. Kind of when you were talking about like the the okay. targeted use case, that would be one where it's saying like, hey, I want to see like how well my micro or macro segmentation is actually implement or uh, helping Very me. Cool. So yeah, we do take that into account. Um, the way that we do it is most of the time if we are saying that there is some sort of attack that's happening between two machines um, or there's a vulnerability being exploited between two machines, we'll look at the relevant port number that that service runs on and the exploit that it's running on, and we will attempt a three-way handshake to see like, hey, can I talk on that appropriate port number? We don't pass any data, there's no exploit like happening, that. but we are confirming connectivity. So whether you're using Lumio or GardaCore or whatever the micro or macro segmentation solution is, we will be aware of those controls and that limitation. So that way, if there is a vulnerable service running, we will have insight into, Hey, these are the only three machines in the environment who could actually exploit that vulnerability because of those controls. Uh, that That is, that is super yeah. cool.
0: Uh, you, you guys have some really amazing technology. It's, fun. It yeah, it's like. relevant.
1: And, I, I would. It's be, fun because it's yeah, all it's
0: very food. wrong. I'd be afraid to. Yeah, I'd be afraid to release it on my home <laughs> network. Let's just I that
1: did one. that when I first started at It'd XM Cyber. So I've got four kids. I know you got a lot of kids, and so it's one of those things where. I was able oh, yeah. to see which one of my kids' machines puts the most amount of risk to my network that storage device. I got a little Synology device where all of my critical stuff is sitting there. So I built all the attack paths and figured out that my daughter Ryland's computer was a choke point because of the way it was configured. So I'd fix those and then made it so that way at least all of the kids' computers' risks are the same. Oh, what? Well, yeah. Well,
0: there you go. You want to be an equal, <laughs> exactly, equal opportunity parent, yeah. right? All the kids' computers exactly, are risky.
1: Definitely. <laughs> especially the games they
0: play. The same, the same yeah. amount of risk. Hey, Paul, it's been yes. a pleasure. This has been Thanks wonderful. I learned I learned a lot. We may probably have to have you come <laughs> I back. I would love on that, yeah. I because especially I want to go I, I really want to go deeper into O T. Yeah. Um hey, because that's that's a scary part for a lot of people today. Um, and I'm like I said before, I'm doing a lot of research in this, in this area right now. I have a lot of customers bugging me. Darren, what do I do? What do I do? Um, yeah. So uh, we most definitely need to talk again uh, more on okay. the OT Yeah, side.
1: next time maybe I'll even pull up in a use case and show you the interface with those OT uh, scenarios. That would oh, be fun. Oh, that that
0: would that would yeah. be awesome. Hey, thanks Thank again, you. Paul. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.